take our Bibles. We're going to go to Luke's Gospel, continuing in a series that I'm titling, Where Then Is My Hope? Where Then Is My Hope? It's taken from Job, who said that. Of course, we know the story of Job and how he went through immense suffering and difficulty and pain, and so he was asking, where then is my hope? So Luke chapter 24, we're going to look at verses 30, 13 down to verse 35. I've titled my message in the series, When Hope is Hard to Hold On To. When Hope is Hard to Hold On To. How many people have a Bible? Hold it up real high, real high. Let's see your Bibles. Apps, you can hold an app or a phone up if you want. Awesome. This, this is the Word of God. Do you believe that? God had spoken this to the prophets, the apostles. They wrote it down, and now we are to study it, understand it, apply it to our lives. And so preaching is one of our pillars, unapologetic preaching at Harvest. And so we believe in preaching. Do you believe in listening to preaching? Give me an amen. Good section right over here. I like this section. I'll be preaching only to these guys. If you're, if you're up for preaching, listening to preaching, and receiving preaching, let me hear an amen. I like that. If you hear something good during the message, if you want to shout amen or hallelujah, I'm okay with that too. Amen. Luke 24, 13 to 35, I want to talk to you about when hope is hard to hold on to. I need a volunteer. Uh, let's see. Brett, are you up there, Brett? Come on up here, Brett. Ladies and gentlemen, Brett Randon. He's wearing some swag. I like that, man. He got a harvest shirt on. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to stand right next to me, right here, facing this audience. I want you to take two fingers like this and hold on to that. Stretch your arms straight out. There you go. It's only going to be about a 30-minute sermon, okay? You're okay with that? You're going to stay there. But if you drop that, you owe me 20 bucks. You know that, right? Okay. Keep holding on to that. Luke chapter 24, verse 13 to 35. You're pretty strong. You want to put it in the other one? Okay. Keep going. Is it hard to hold on to? Is it getting harder? Okay. Remember, 20. We hold on to things that we value that are important, like this guy. You'll see him on the screen behind us. Take a peek at this guy. You can bring that screen up. There's nobody back there? I need, where's my proclaim guy? I need my slide guy. Where is he? Huh? Would you go get him, Dave? I need my proclaim guy. He's getting his coffee. Bring up the screen here, the next slide. How are you doing over here? Good? Okay. I want you to look at this guy here. What we value, we hold on to, right? This is our very own Don Heinz. Actually, he's back at Harvest Kids teaching. And so, go back to that one slide. Thank you. How many people ever feel like this in their life? How are you doing? Let me just check on you every so often. You doing okay? <laughs> it's hard to hold on to that, huh? Thanks, brother. What we value, we hold on to. What do you think this guy's valuing in this picture? Yeah, his life. What we're looking at today is holding on to something called hope. We hold on to things that we find value in our children, holding their hand in a busy crowd. You ever been in a crowd with your child and there's just people everywhere? And what do you do? You grab their hand and you hold tightly onto their hand, right? 
about your coffee? Some of you are holding on to your coffee right now really tightly. Obviously, my proclaimed guy is holding on to it tightly. And so if I were to take your fingers and try to pry those, we'd have a throwdown, right? You're holding on to that because you value your coffee. How about your steering wheel when you're driving your car? My wife and I were going out to Mount Washington, which is in New Hampshire, and that's a big, big mountain, and you're driving up there. There's no guardrails off to the right-hand side, and so I was white-knuckling. I was holding on to my steering wheel because I valued our life. It was so scary. My wife said, do you mind if I put the chair down? I can't, I can't have my chair upright. It was so frightening. You know that hope is hard to hold on to as well? Why is hope so hard to hold on to? Have you ever had hope and then it slipped away from you? How about when your spouse left you? How about when the doctor said that you wouldn't be able to have children, as was the diagnosis of my wife and I? How about when you lost your job? When your kid went sideways? How about those moments when bad thing after bad thing was happening to you? Was it hard to hold on to the hope? Yeah, it's hard to hold on to hope during those times. Think about the disciples of Jesus. He's crucified, he's buried, but not all heard about it. Not all believed it. When Jesus entered Jerusalem on the triumphal entry, remember we looked at that, there was hope that was peaking. And they're celebrating and they're saying, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Then he's crucified and hope then slips away from them. And then the resurrection, and then hope again. Do you believe in the resurrection? How many people would say, we celebrated it last Easter, right? Raise your hand if you believe that Jesus rose from the dead. Raise your hand nice and high, confidently. If you believe that Jesus rose from the dead, then why is it that hope has slipped away from you at various times in your life? Why is it so hard to hold on to hope? I want to look at verses 13 down to verse 35. We're going to see how we can hold on to hope. There are five ways that we can do this. Number one, I hope that you have a handout. Number one, we hold on to hope by remaining in places where God has worked and is working. Look at verse 13. Matthew 24, verse 13. That very day. That's how it opens up. Verse 13. Now, what's the that very day? How many people would say it's Resurrection Sunday, right? Well, that's what it is. It's the same day. If you go back up, into the uh, verse 1, you'll see on the first day of the week, that's a reference to Sunday. So it's the same day that all of these things, verse 14 says, were happening. Jesus rises from the dead, word gets out. Two of them, it says in the text. Who are the two? We know one of them is Cleopas. We don't know who the other guy was. He's not named. But there's two of them. Verse 9 says they were part of this all the rest. You'll see that in verse 9. These are the two of all the rest. But more specifically, they were the two of the group in verse 11 that says, these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. Those are the two. These are the two men that are part of that group. It's an idle tale. They don't believe it. Hope is deferred. They leave Jerusalem and start heading to this town called Emmaus. Now, they had hope deferred, hope delayed. I would call it something like this, misplaced hope, distractions. We saw those last lord's day verse 21 they said about themselves we had hoped that it was he who was the one to redeem israel in other words they're looking at christ they're under roman oppression roman rule 
in Palestine, and so they wanted a deliverer. They wanted a military deliverer from the oppression. They had a hope that was misdirected. It was deferred. They thought it was going to be Christ. That's in verse 15. Now, verse 16 says, but their eyes were kept from recognizing them. Their eyes were kept from recognizing them. Jesus asks them a question, and a conversation happens from verses 19 down to verse 24. God is gracious to these men. He's gracious. He shows up. They're in a hope-deferred place. We all get in hope-deferred places. And Jesus still shows up. That's his mercy. This is what he does to these two men. But I'm going to ask a question. What would have happened if they remained? What would happen if they remained in Jerusalem where, where the move of God and the presence of God and the working of God was? What would have happened to them? So they separated themselves and they're on their way to Emmaus. Hope is much easier to hold on to when we stay where the Spirit is moving in power. Henry Blackaby said to us in a meeting several years ago, wherever the Spirit of God is moving, go there. And he was understanding that you want to remain in those places where God is working, but don't separate yourself from them. Because once you do, then hope will be deferred. Hard to hold on to. I've seen this over and over again, pastoral ministry, almost 30 years doing this. People that leave where God is moving and, and, and things go from bad to worse. And decisions are made and, and they wander and they go down Emmaus roads and it's tragic. You want to just go after them and grab them, but they don't, they don't want to listen sometimes and they don't want to hear you. Maybe you're like these two men. Maybe you were doubting and something happened and something painful was in your world and you doubted, you got bitter, you weren't forgiving as you should have done or whatever it may have been and then all of a sudden you, you left. And God is working here. He's moving in your life, but you left. I'm going to encourage you to remain. Don't ever go away from where God is moving and where God is working. You'll notice Peter in verse 12. Take your eyes there. Peter, it says, rose and ran to the tomb after he had heard about the empty tomb. And he's stooping in. He saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went. He didn't go with the two to Emmaus. What does it say? He went home marveling at what had happened. There's a difference. Peter stays. The two men leave. Some of you have left. Now God's bringing you back. And when something comes into your world again, which it will, how are you going to react to that? Are you going to doubt? Are you going to get angry? Are you going to get bitter? No, you've already done that. Don't do that again. Remain where God is working. You know he's working in your life. And you stay there. Peter did that. This is how we hold on to hope, by remaining in places where the, mo the move of God or the manifest presence of the Lord. That's number one. We hold on to hope by remaining. Number two, by remembering what God has said in his word and doing it. Verses 25 down to verse 27. Notice. 25. He said to them, O foolish ones, slow of heart to believe all that the scriptures have spoken. Was it not necessary that Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. Jesus often speaks words that are direct, sometimes 
seemingly harsh. He says to them in verse 25, O foolish ones and slow of heart, the prophets had spoken, the apostles, there was preaching, there was teaching, Jesus himself is there, they're hearing all of this. But Jesus brings them right back to the Bible in this conversation that they're having on the road to Emmaus. Promises from God were given to them. Verse 27, now they had previously been through all of this information, all of this revelation, yet something didn't take with them. Something didn't go deep within their soul. They weren't gripped by the word of God. It was hard to hold on to their hope. The Bible doesn't go inside of our brains and go from there into our heart and cause a devoted, godly response. Then it's only going to lay right up here some form of intellectualism, academia, and that's as far as it's going to go. But if it doesn't take your heart and warm it to Christ and to who he is, and some trauma hits your life, you're not going to be able to hold on to hope. We need the promises of God. We need them to penetrate deep into our soul, not just into our brains, not just into our minds. I'm all for studying scripture. I'm all for looking at the text and understanding the Greek and the Hebrew and all of that. But I found out many years ago that that alone is not enough. And some of you know what I'm talking about because you filled your brain with a lot of information about the Bible. But when you look at your heart, you're like, it doesn't, I don't, I don't have tears for Christ. I don't have this devotion to him. I don't have this passion for the glory of God. Something's not right. It's because it went in here and it stayed there like these men. And traumas and trials are hitting your life and you're having a hard time holding on to hope because you're not gripped by the word of God. I don't know if you knew this, but almost half of all professing Christians even read their Bibles on a daily basis. Did you know that? Is that a crazy statistic? Did I get that right, Emily? It... Daily. That's unbelievable. All right, let's do some Bible trivia. Ready? Everybody sit up. Bible trivia. Let's do it. I'm going to ask you a question. I want you to respond. How many of each animal did Moses bring on the, mark, on the ark? Raise up your hand. Raise up your hand. How many do you think it was? Two, I see. I see two. I see one. I see two. Actually, it was, it was Noah that brought. All right. Yeah, we're going to work on Bible knowledge at harvest. I'm not against Bible knowledge. But you know what's more important than that? Taking the knowledge that is preached from a pulpit and actually applying it and causing it to, for you to love Jesus more, to exalt his great name. In verse 27, the, the, Jesus is manifesting himself on the road to Emmaus to these two men, and, and it's coming back to Christ. There's this, ex, ex, we call it exposition, expounding the word of God. That's what Jesus is doing. And it's pointing back to a person it's pointing back to the person of Christ. Jesus is to become more awesome to us. I can remember years ago, I was in ministry. I was an associate pastor, children's pastor, youth pastor, and I was the maintenance guy. I mean, it was quite the, quite the years there. I was so busy in ministry. And I remember just getting on my knees before God saying, God, I don't really know you. I mean, I know about you. I've been busy doing ministry for a long time. But I don't really know you. I'm not like in, the, in your presence. I'm not sensing you. I'm not feeling you. And I'm on my knees going, God, how do I get there? And I'm on staff at a, a pretty decent-sized church up in Massachusetts. 
But it happened to me. Has it ever happened to you? It happens to all of us. We've got to remember. We've got to remember what God has spoken to us. How easy it is to forget things, right? Anybody have a hard time remembering things? Anybody have a hard time remembering names? Are you bad with names? You forget things, right? You forget people's names. Maybe you've forgotten your own name. That would be kind of, kind of creepy and scary, but forget where you live. That happened to me once, believe it or not. I was so stressed out about things in my world that I forgot where I lived. I'm at an intersection. I, I just had a meltdown. I'm like, where do I go? Who's scary? We have a hard time remembering things. What do we do to try to remember? Some people put like a rubber band on their wrist or maybe tie a little string Maybe post-it notes. You know, you have that little piece of paper with the glue on the back, right? The post-it notes. Every time I write on one, I'm like, doggone, I wish I would have invented that. How? Little glue, little paper, billion-dollar company? I mean, that's how people remember things, post-it notes. How do other people remember things? What do they do? What do you do? How about word association? How about your phone? You go to the grocery store like I do, right, guys? You have a honeydew list, right? I don't remember what my, my wife wanted, so I have it on my phone, and that helps me to remember. And so I look at it over and over again, and if I still can't figure it out, then I call her. Listen to what Colossians 3 says. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. It's Colossians 3.16. Let's do something real quick here. Just take that one verse with me. Let. Here's what I do. This is how I meditate on the word of God. I take one verse and I take it word by word. Let. I'm going to let. I'm going to let. And then I'll go into some resources, Greek and all that. Try to figure out some more stuff about that one particular word. Let the word of Christ dwell. Let that word dwell. Just settle in. The word making its place in your heart. That's what it means. Let the word of God, the scriptures come into your life and make a home in your heart. And once the truth of God really gets a, a hold of your heart, it's going to point you to a person. It's always going to go back to Jesus. 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 Colossians 3. Take a look at that verse and just keep meditating. That's how you're going to remember the word of God. Just keep going over and over again. So we've got remaining where the works of God or the presence of God. This is how you hold on to hope. Remembering what God has said. Number three, requesting the Holy Spirit to be present and to lead. Look at verse 28. In verse 29, notice what it says. So they drew near to the village to which they were going, and he acted as if he were going farther. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. And so he went in to stay with them. Isn't this wonderful? So they're looking at Jesus. They don't really know him fully and completely. Their eyes are still kept from fully grasping who he was. But they say something to him. Would you stay with us? Why did they say that? Well, maybe they're trying to be hospitable to this man that was walking with them that seven miles from Jerusalem over to Emmaus. Maybe they want to be hospitable. I think it's more than that. Verse 32, it says, did, that, did it not burn in our hearts? Was there not something happening inside of us as we walked with this man? They didn't fully see him yet. They're going to see him in a second. But, but they knew something was going on. They knew something was unusual. And so they say, Jesus, would you stay with us? Now, Christ is in heaven, right? Jesus is at the right hand of the Father. So let's take the application like this. The Holy Spirit now is with us. 
And so the principle would be this. There are times in your Christian life when hope will be deferred, where you need to request, listen, this might be a little theologically different than some have maybe been taught, but I really believe this. Request the immediate personal presence of the Spirit of God in that moment. Say, Holy Spirit, I want you right now. I want you to be right next to me. Fill me, overwhelm me, anoint me, baptize me. Request it. You're saying like they said, Jesus, would you stay with us? Now we're saying to the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, would you manifest yourself to us? Help us to know you. Help me to walk with you. Help me not to grieve you because we can grieve the Spirit of God. Spirit of God is the person, right? And we can grieve the Spirit. My wife and I, going back to that relationship, and you have a relationship if you're married like that, sometimes you grieve each other and you have this conflict and this strain between one another. Communication starts to break down and you have this distance. And you just don't like that feeling. That can happen with the Holy Spirit. Do you know what I'm talking about when you do something you shouldn't do? And you're like, man. And you know that you grieve the Spirit of God. Keep grieving the Spirit of God, and you'll never be able to hold on to hope. Ever. Ever. Request that the Spirit of God won't be grieved. Say, God, uh, your Spirit is in me. I know that. Fill me right now, Holy Spirit. You might want to say that right now if you're struggling with holding on to hope. Ask this of the Spirit of God. Like, they were requesting Jesus to stay near to them. Number four. So we have remaining in the presence of the Lord or the work of God. Don't leave that. Remembering the word that God has spoken to you or is speaking to you through Scripture. Requesting that the presence of the Spirit of God won't be grieved and you won't be separated in that fellowship. Not relationship, but fellowship. You can't be separated relationally, but fellowship you can. Number four, regaining a vision of who God is. This is number four. Verses 30 down to verse 32. Let's look at it. Verse 30, when he was at the table with them, he took the bread and he blessed and he broke it and he gave it to them. And their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he vanished from their sight. I mean, can you imagine that? All of a sudden they can see him for who he is. And then he vanishes from their sight. And then it says, they said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked with us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? Number four, regain a vision of who God is. Listen, hope vanishes. Hope vanishes. It does. It vanishes. Like the money in your wallet, guys. I'm telling you, I go to my wallet sometimes. I'm like looking for some cash, and I'm looking in there. I'm thinking, doggone. It vanished. My wife is an amazing magician. She made my money disappear again. Hope is the same way. It'll be gone. We need to regain a vision. Now, here's what's happening here. They're getting this vision of who Christ is. Their eyes are opened, and now they see him. They see him for who he truly is, the Son of God, the, the, the man Jesus, God in the flesh. Now he's risen from the dead, and they grasp that, that vision of him. As we get older, our vision gets worse, right? Anybody in that camp? Obviously, I'm wearing glasses. Anybody else wearing glasses or contacts? Take off your glasses if, you, if you're wearing glasses right now. And tell me how clear your vision is. I can't even see how beautiful and how pretty and handsome you guys are right now. 
if you don't wear glasses or contacts, just poke yourself in the eye real quick so that your eyes start watering so the illustration will make sense. We need a vision of, of who Jesus really is. And this is what they're getting here in the text. Christ reveals himself. Their eyes are open. And they're, they're open during communion. It's wonderful. Somehow during the Lord's table, as we were having the Lord's table together, maybe you were getting a clear picture of who Jesus is to you. A fresh vision of his, his wonderful love for you, his character, that he's faithful and he's He's always been there for you. Now, here's what the devil wants to do. The devil wants you to see God in a distorted way, as weak and angry and unloving and uncaring. But God isn't that way. Jesus isn't that way. The the Savior isn't the one who, when you were going through all of that pain, was turning on you, had left you, had abandoned you. But what was your reaction to all of that? Maybe you started to get angry at God. Listen, God will open up our understanding to who he is as he did to them. He will do that for us. For some in this room, God has been a distant memory for you. There was a day when you saw him as so generous and caring. Now he's stern and he's cold and he's unkind. This is the way you see him. It's not true, but it's the way that you see him. And for others, you have lost the vision of his power to change your life and your circumstances. Still others, you're riddled with guilt and shame and can't see him as forgiving and loving anymore you got to regain a vision for who he is that he is always loving and forgiving regain a vision for who christ is for who god is and number five and finally repenting this is how you do it this is how you hold on to hope fifthly you're repenting of where we went wrong or where you went wrong verses 33 down to verse 35 let's finish up this section verse 33 and they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. This is wonderful. They get the vision of God. They know where they went wrong. They are realizing this, and they, they go back to Jerusalem, another seven miles, eight miles, two-hour walk. And they found the 11 and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. And so this is, this is a wonderful little section. They started to realize where they had gone wrong. Repentance is that. It's changing direction. They're going towards Emmaus. All of a sudden, this happens to them. Their eyes are open. They turn around. That's repentance. They turn around. They head the the opposite direction that they were going. And they head back to Jerusalem. They're going to tell a story. They're going to testify about how Christ had risen from the dead and appeared to them on the road to Emmaus. Hope was back for them. Listen, this can happen to you if we're honest about where we went wrong. Was it pride that got you? Was it a bitter heart? Was it because when you were supposed to forgive that person for hurting you, you didn't do it? I know for me it was disappointment with God. I was so disappointed with God. I was like, God, I had prayed, been faithful, tried to be a good pastor. I tried to be the Christian that you've called me to be, and I was totally let down by God. At least that's how I saw him. He let me down. And and then I started to realize that, Chris, wait a minute. God doesn't let me down. I started getting this vision of who God was again, and it became clearer to me, and I started going, God, I'm sorry. Maybe you're at that place. You've got to say sorry to the Lord because you realize what had happened, where you went wrong. And when you start repenting 
and you start turning from going this direction back to God, hope is going to be restored. You'll be able to hold on to hope. God has given his word. Here they are. It's super, super simple. Maybe not practically, but remain in places where God is working. And if you believe that God is working in your life right now, don't leave that place. Don't leave it. Remember what his word is to you. His promises are true. His promises are ever, ever so true. Request his personal presence, his anointing. Request the Spirit of God to come near to you again because you realize you might have grieved the Spirit, have a little bit of conflict with the Holy Spirit. Regain a vision of who God is, his character and his attributes. He's faithful and he's good and he's loving and he's kind. And then repent of where you went wrong and watch hope. Watch how you'll be able to hold on to it. So I'm going to ask you as we close, which of these apply to you? There's five of them. Maybe one applies to you. Maybe there's two. Maybe there's a bunch that the Spirit is now helping you to see. Whatever it may be, you've got to learn how to hold on to hope. Hold on to hope. Some of you are going to need it in the near future. Who knows? Maybe you'll take these notes or maybe listen again online. Go back to the text and meditate on it. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, we pray that you would help us to truly, truly hold on to hope. Help us to hold on to you. And I, theologically, I know that is a little bit off. Maybe it's you holding on to us. Maybe believing that you still have us in the palm of your hands. So God, help us to apply all of these. If there's one that somebody is needing to apply even now, maybe Holy Spirit requesting you Maybe there's been that grieving of the Spirit of God in your life. Maybe it's remembering the Word of God and what He has said to you in times past or maybe even last week and He's bringing that Word fresh back into your mind. Maybe it's repenting, realizing that where you went wrong. Maybe you were bitter. Maybe you were doubtful. Maybe fear and anxiety gripped your soul and hope slipped out of your hands. Whatever it may be, I'm going to encourage you to pray just even silently to yourself god i want different i want to hold on to hope this is what's happened to me and you know it there's probably no fitting song to end the service than in christ alone so jesus it's in your name alone that any of this word that has been spoken any of these texts of scripture that have been looked at can actually be applied and so god we pray that you would help us by your spirit during this song, be pointed towards Jesus and to get back to a place of holding on to hope. Let's all stand.